We are working our way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the most famous teachings of Jesus and the biggest block of teaching that we find in the Scriptures. And today we come to a part of Jesus' teaching that is perhaps the most quoted. In fact, there are even memes of this part of Jesus' teaching but I believe it's also the most misunderstood, some of the most misunderstood of his teachings. So we're coming to chapter 7. By the way, we finished chapter 6 last week, the Sermon on the Mount, when we started at the beginning of the year. And I told you it's found in three chapters in the book of Matthew, three chapters, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And so we've gone through the first two, and so we turn to chapter 7 of Matthew. If you want to go ahead and and turn to that right now. We're going to read that uh, in a minute, the first six verses of Matthew 7. I'd love for all of you to follow along in your Bibles. But this is a portion that many people quote, especially the, the very beginning of Matthew 7, 1, which says, Judge not, in the King James Version, uh, New King James Version as well. Judge not. People love to quote that, right? Do not judge. People say, no one can judge me. Have you ever heard that before? Uh, you shouldn't judge. You shouldn't judge. The Bible says, judge not. Jesus said, judge not. Do not judge. And occasionally I hear people say, well, I don't judge. A few years ago, this is before COVID, I was uh, working uh, as a part-time as a tutor at Lakeview, working with bilingual students. And it was a pretty easy schedule. I didn't work that much during the week. And uh, so one morning I, I, got to, I got to school and I uh, was running a little bit late. I really wasn't that late. And again, you know, they paid me by the hour. And all I did was really go into the classrooms with the students, just kind of follow their schedule. And just if they needed help, I was there to help them to translate or interpret or maybe explain, you know, the, the, the assignment. So it was nothing heavy. And, uh, but one morning I was running just a little bit late. I was still there in, uh, on time for the beginning of the class, or right as the bell rang. But as I pulled into the parking lot, there were some coaches out there in front of the gym, just their morning duty. And uh, as I walked out and walked in front of them, said hello to them, and I just said, I'm running a little bit late. And one of the coaches, one of the female coaches said, hey, we don't judge. <laughs> we don't judge here, right? People say that, and maybe you've said it too. Hey, we don't judge. We almost use that phrase as a badge of honor to show that we're not judgmental, which is good, but, but I think it might also reveal something about our lack of understanding of what Jesus taught about judging. And so I pray that today we'll be able to understand what, what Jesus taught about judging. So let's go ahead and go to our text for today, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, verses 1 through 6, if you'll follow along in your Bibles uh, today, Matthew 7, 1 through 6, and it reads like this, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye 
when all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Then verse 6 says, Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. Last week, we read a portion of Scripture in which Jesus uh, taught us about worry. And it was, uh, you know, worry and anxiety, how they're not beneficial, but He gives us an answer for our worry. And it was so helpful. It was, you know, I've re- I've, we, we read that and we just, as we read it, we feel strengthened, we feel blessed. And, and I reread it during the week. And it's such a beautiful portion of Scripture. And then He turns around and He says, You hypocrites! Take that plank out of your eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, and then he talks about dogs and, and pigs. Uh, I almost titled this message, this message I just simply titled, How to Judge Others Correctly. How to Judge Others Correctly. I almost uh, called it um, Specks and, and Dogs and Specks and Logs and Pigs and Dogs. <laughs> But uh, I, I, try to, I, I try to give titles to uh, sermons that will let people know what the sermon's about when they see the title. And I thought, well, if I title it Specks and Logs and Pigs and Dogs, I may not know what it's about unless you know, they really have a good grasp on, on, the, on the scriptures. But uh, how to ju- judge others correctly? Really the first question here, because it's so clear at the beginning when, when Jesus starts off this section, do not judge or you too will be judged. The first question has to be, what does it mean to judge? What does it mean to judge? How was Jesus using this word? Now, like many words, the the word judge has a range of meanings, a range of meanings. Uh, When you look up a word in the dictionary, oftentimes it'll give you more than one meaning for that word. There's a primary meaning, then there's a secondary meaning, maybe even a third meaning, because uh, every word has a range of meanings. They're all somewhat different depending on the context, depending on the usage of the word. So the word judge, the word judge, at one end of the range, to judge means to evaluate, to discern. You judge distances, you judge the number of people. I think there were 100 people. I think there were 500 people. We, you know, we judge when we're driving. We judge how fast a car is coming uh, this other in front of us, other direction. And do we have time to go? Or no, he's coming too fast. We make those judgments, right? One of my students this week told me a story about how she was hit by a motorcycle in one of the streets in the Mexican city where she's from. She said that she was with a friend, another girl. They were, they're both, uh, you know, walking on the street. They're going to cross the street, and they saw that there was a motorcycle coming. And, and this girl told her friend, oh, yeah, we can make it. So they ran across the street, and she didn't make it. The motorcycle, she said, was, was coming faster than, they, than she thought. And so the motorcycle hit her, and she fell to the, to the ground, and she said that as she was lying on the street, she said, I was just there in the street, and I was thinking, I didn't judge that right. <laughs> yeah, I know you didn't. She was fine. She got up and, and walked away. 
But uh, she thought, yeah, I judged this wrong. So to judge means to, to evaluate. And we evaluate it many other ways. We say, okay, this is good and this is bad. There are things that we see in our culture today and we say, that's not good. Or we say, that's, that's good. Or we say, this is right or this is wrong. Uh, we say, this is better. This is worse. We're always making these evaluations. We're making judgments, right? So is that what Jesus is forbidding when he says, do not judge, or you too will be judged? Is he saying to us, don't ever say to anybody, you're wrong. Don't ever say to, uh, to anybody uh, about their beliefs or about their behavior that that's wrong, because that's judging. I mean, is that what this means? Now, today, there are a lot of people in our culture, as I said here at the beginning, there are a lot of people in our culture that would say, yeah, that's exactly what it means. So often we're told, don't judge, which means you don't tell people that their beliefs are wrong. You don't tell people that their behavior is wrong or it's immoral. You don't tell people that anything they did or anything they believe is wrong, anything like that, because that's judging. We can't do that. So is that right? Is that correct? Is that what Jesus means? Does, this mean, does he mean by the word judge, don't evaluate, don't ever criticize? Well, no, he doesn't mean that. We're going to see in a, in a few minutes why, but ultimately, I mean, uh, it can't mean that. It, it can't mean that because in verse 6, Jesus himself makes a negative evaluation about some people when he metaphorically refers to them as dogs and pigs. So is Jesus saying, don't do that, oh, you pigs, you dogs. So there's like a contradiction, but there's not really a contradiction. Because that's not what Jesus is saying. It can't mean, don't ever criticize. It can't mean, don't ever tell people they're wrong, or they're living wrong, or their, their beliefs are wrong, or they're behaving incorrectly. Because that's not what Jesus means. So then... We have to look at the other end of the range of the, of the word judge to learn that to judge also means to condemn or to um, sentence someone, to pass a verdict, right? And that is what Jesus is condemning. The type of judging where you, or uh, forbidding, rather. That is what Jesus is forbidding. The type of judging that you condemn someone. You pass a judgment. You pass a, a sentence uh, uh, on someone. It's a self-righteous judging that seeks to condemn rather than to help. And Paul himself picks up this thought in his letter to the Romans, in Romans 2, verse 1. Uh, Paul writes this, You therefore have no excuse, you who, here it is, pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are, what? Condemning yourself, because you who pass judgment do the same things. So Paul is saying the kind of judgment that, that God forbids, the kind of judgment that Jesus is talking about when he says, judge not or do not judge, is the one that passes judgment. See those words in Romans 2.1. He talks about judgment. He talks about uh, condemnation, condemning yourself because you're passing judgment on, doing, on things that you do uh, as well. So there's a link between judgment and contempt for someone. 
There's a link between this kind of judgment and contempt. I'll put it this way. When you criticize someone, are you trying to reconcile that relationship? When you criticize someone, are you saying, look, I, I want you to see this for your own good. In other words, are you coming humbly? Are you seeking to strengthen a relationship or maybe even restore a relationship? Or are you criticizing to punish? Are you criticizing to cause pain? Are you criticizing just to make the person feel bad and maybe even drive them away from your circle of, of friends? There's a difference. That's, that's the range right there. And Jesus doesn't mean that you shouldn't criticize. Again, he can't mean that. But what he means is that you shouldn't judge in the sense of condemning and punishing. You shouldn't judge with a sense of pride or condensation toward others. So I think here's the point. I think this is a point right here. Don't judge to condemn, but to help. Don't judge to condemn but to help. When we judge to condemn, Jesus said, we receive the same judgment. When we judge to condemn, we receive the same type of judgment. Jesus said it and Paul said it. Go back to, before we go back to Matthew 7, go once again to Romans 2.1. Romans 2.1 where, where uh, Paul wrote this, You therefore have no excuse, you who pass judgment on someone else, for at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself. Because you who pass judgment do the same things. So it comes back to us, right? And Jesus said it this way. Go back to Matthew 7, 1 and 2. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use... It will be judged to you. Now, does this mean that others will judge us the same way we judge? Or does it mean that God will judge us the same way that we judge? Well, I think it's both. I think it's both. And sometimes God allows others to judge us with the same kind of condemnation and wanting to pass a, a guilty verdict on people and push them away from us. God allows them to judge us the same way. The bottom line is that this shows our hypocrisy when we judge others with no desire to help. This is why in verse 6, Jesus said, you hypocrites, right? There's, there's a hypocrisy there that he's talking about because we don't really have a desire to come to someone and, and to help them. Now when, uh, for example, our children... They grow up and, and start spreading their wings a little bit. And as they do that, they're going to make mistakes. And we see those things because we've been there. We've made the same mistakes. And so we can judge them. And many times we do, but the desire is to help them. The desire is to tell them, look, hey, don't do this. I, I've, I've made that same mistake. I've been there. Now, some... Uh, kids would say, well, you're being a hypocrite if you made the same mistake and yet you don't want me uh, to help you. You know, I've heard uh, of uh, kids who uh, tell their parents, 
This is somebody once uh, said this to me. Well, I can't say anything to my daughter because, you know, she's got a boyfriend and I, I know they're sleeping together. And but I got pregnant when I was a teenager. I got pregnant out of wedlock. And so I feel like I don't have any authority to speak to her. And that's what some people would say. Hey, you can't speak to my life. Look at what you did. You're a, that's being a hypocrite. In reality, that's not hypocrisy. And I told her, look, that's not hypocrisy. If you were still doing that right now and you told her don't do it, if you were sleeping around and you told her don't do it, that's hypocrisy. But if you did that when you were young and you've, you've dealt with the consequences and you've learned and, and you still have authority, right? That's not hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is when we want to judge people, but we don't have a desire to help them. We just want to judge them. We just want to condemn them. So then Jesus goes into a metaphor that is, that is very impactful, and it's very interesting, and it's funny. Really, It's funny when you think about this. Matthew 7, 3 and 4, he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? Now, earlier in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus taught about how money can blind us. Remember that? How money can blind us to the point that we make incorrect judgments about how to use money and how money is using us. We don't see those things because we're blind. So now he's showing us that hypocrisy also blinds us. It blinds us to our own faults so that we see our faults as something small or even non-existent while we... Well, they're really, Jesus said, your faults are not small. They're not non-existent. Your faults are, and let me see if I can get another uh, microphone up here. Your faults are not non-existent, but they're actually like a plank. Thank you very much. Thank you, sir. All right, so he, he wants us to see your faults are not as small as you think they are. They're like this log coming out of your eye while you're trying you know, while you're judging your brother for a, a small speck in his eye. When, when you have a splinter or something in your eye, it destroys your ability to see out of that eye, doesn't it? It destroys your ability to see out of that eye. If you get something caught in your eye, then you're blinking. Maybe your eyes are watering. You can't see it. It's awful. It feels terrible, right? That's not a good feeling to have something in your eye. What is that a meta metaphor for spiritually? I think it's this. I think it's when you have a sin in your soul, a persistent sin, when you have something that's lodged in your soul, it destroys your ability to see. It hurts your vision. And I think what Jesus is saying is when you have a speck in your eye, it should to you look like a plank. We'd like to think it's like a speck. It's just a small thing. But to you, you should see it like a big sin. It should feel big. You shouldn't minimize it. A speck might as well be a log is what Jesus is saying. It hurts enough, doesn't it? Something in your eye can be very painful. When I was in the third grade, I had a best friend named Robert. He's the one, I've told you this story before, he's the one that befriended me on my first day of school at that school after we arrived in Texas from California. 
That first year of school, uh, the teacher sat me in an empty desk right in one of the two middle rows, and I sat down. Of course, first year of school, I was in third grade. I was nervous, and Robert was to my left right across the aisle, and he leaned over, and he said, psst, and I looked, and he said, do you want to be friends? I was like, yes, and, and we ended up being best friends for through uh, all elementary, middle school, and, and high school. Well, this same uh, friend of mine, one time we were working the same, the same seats, you know, we we're working on, on something in class that had like a yes or no or true or false, if I remember correctly. This is a long time ago, folks, 1968, right? So before a few of you were born. But uh, we were answering some questions, and uh, there was a question that said, there was a statement that said, it hurts to have a cinder in your eye. And I don't know why I remember that so clearly, but it was, it hurts to have a cinder in your eye. We had to answer, is that true or false? And I hadn't even gotten to that, but Robert got to that. He, he turns to me again, and he says, hey, hey. He says, when you get to that question, make sure you answer yes. Because I had a cinder in my eye yesterday, and it really hurt a lot. And I was like, okay, thanks for the answer. You know, <laughs> Little third-grade kids, you know, talking like that. But a, a speck in our eye hurts, and sin in our lives hurts as well. In other words, I think Jesus is saying, unless your sin looms large to you, unless you see your sins as greater than other people's sins, you're not going to be able to help them with their sins. And so here's something that many people miss about what Jesus said. Look at verse 5. Verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Now, a lot of times we see this and, and uh, Jesus says, you know, you, you want to remove the speck out of your brother's eye. You don't see that you've got this two by four coming out of your, your own eye. You know, Jesus using humor, right? You don't see. And, and so we think that, OK, so Jesus is just telling us, deal with your own sin. Stop trying to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Stop trying to, to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Remove the plank from your own eye. Well, that's not all that Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying is, you know, stop trying to remove the speck from your brother's eye. First, take the plank out of your own eye and then go remove the speck from your brother's eye. So he didn't just say, stop judging, take care of your own plank. He says, yeah, stop judging, take care of your sin, but then go back and remove the speck from your brother's eye. He's saying, you're not seeing clearly. You can't even help somebody because you got this sin. So I think the point is this. I think the point is that Jesus wants us to deal with our own sin first so we can see clearly to help others. It's not just a matter of take care of yourself, man. Just judge. Don't, uh, don't judge others. Just get rid of your plank. No, he says, get rid of your plank because I need you to help others. I need you to remove that speck from somebody else's eye. This is why I said earlier, don't judge to condemn, but judge to help, evaluate so you can help others. See, we are to repent and turn away from our sin. We're not to minimize or excuse our sin, which is our biggest temptation. Did you know that Jesus... Uh, taught against self-righteousness more than he taught against other kinds of sin, sexual sin, immorality. He taught more against self-righteousness uh, righteousness and 
pride because that's our biggest temptation. Jesus does want us to help our brother by removing the speck from his eye. How do we do that? How do we, how, how do we remove a speck from someone's eye? Have you ever had somebody in your family say, hey, I got something in my eye, I can't get it out. What do you say? Well, hey, let me go get a screwdriver so I can help you. Let me go get a hammer and I'll hammer it out. No, that's crazy. Not even, not even tweezers. I mean, I, don't, I wouldn't want my wife using tweezers to get something out of my eye. It's like, no, no. He's a, you know, a tissue or something, a soft uh, Kleenex with lotion, you know, something that won't, won't hurt me. How do you remove a speck from someone's eye? Very carefully. Very carefully. Very gently. You don't condemn you don't embarrass, you don't exasperate them. You approach it very gently, very humbly, very realistically. Have you ever blown in someone's eye to remove a speck? Have you ever done that? You just kind of blow in their eye. It's, a, it's this gentle breath of, of air. You, know, you, 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 don't, you don't get this you know, strong fan, and although maybe sometimes you think it's needed. You know, you know, I call this a very gentle approach, the very gentle approach of removing a speck from somebody's eye. I call this the, it's the there but for the grace of God approach. It's a there but for the grace of God approach. Several years ago, it's been, it's been a long time, there was a story here in San Angelo of a minister, a youth pastor, in fact, who was, was caught... Um, Having a relationship with a young lady it was it was criminal. I mean, it wasn't just uh, a sin, but it was criminal. He got arrested, and it was very sad. And so, when that when those uh, when that news broke, I think it was a Friday because the next day it was a Saturday. We had a we had a men's breakfast at the churches back when we were uh, at Coberlin, and so we met for breakfast and prayer that morning. And I remember it was kind of sobering. We were all kind of just kind of looking at each other and talking about this and thinking, not that we were like doing the same thing or even tempted to do the same thing, but just knowing how sin can creep up. And I remember all of us thinking like, wow, man, that's, that's kind of scary. You know, watch out, guys. We've got to be careful. We, we all kind of had that there but for the grace of God go I mentality. And I think it's helpful if you, because there were some people who were like, it said, that's, that youth pastor can't believe that. He's, you know, just... A lot of condemnation, and I, I mean, I, I get that that's a reaction, but the way you remove a speck out of somebody's eye is just very gently knowing that if it wasn't for God's grace, we would have the same speck in our eyes. So then verse 6, verse 6, Jesus seems to jump to something that maybe is not related. He says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. What is he talking about here? Talking about dogs turning on you and trampling you or, or uh, trampling what you've given them and tearing you to pieces. You know, what does this mean? Has Jesus changed topics? Well, you know, any time that we try to help someone with their sin, we try to be helpful to help them overcome a sin, help them see what they're doing, try to remove a speck from their eyes. Anytime we do that, uh, even if we do it gently and humbly, things don't always go smoothly. 
they don't always go smoothly. We, we wish they would, and, and sometimes they do. But we've got to remember that anytime we offer grace, and we have to offer grace, as I said, when we're trying to remove a speck from a brother's eye. Anytime we offer grace, we've got to remember that there won't be, that doesn't mean that there won't be any problems because grace is always offered in the context of sin. Grace is always offered in the context of sin. In other words, if there weren't any sin, there would be no need for grace. The fact that we're offering grace means that there's something going on here that's sinful. There's something going on here that's grace. Uh, if there were no sin, grace wouldn't be needed. And so we know that it's, the context is sin, and sin is messy. How many of you know that? Trying to restore, trying to correct Trying to let somebody see whether it's your children. In some cases, it's children to the parents. Trying to make them see what they're doing is wrong or, or somebody, a close friend. Uh, that's messy. And so offering grace can be messy. Trying to remove a speck from somebody's eye can be messy, even though you're doing it gently and humbly. So Jesus here says something in interesting. Do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to the pigs. Now let's talk about these animals first. Dogs in Jesus' time could be wild dogs. But I don't know if you realize this, but they could also be domestic animals. Uh, there's, there's a place in Mark 7 where Jesus is talking, even kind of arguing with this Gentile woman. And Jesus tells her, I came to the lost sheep of Israel. And then she, she responded with, yes, Lord. But even the dogs under the table eat the scraps from their owner's plates or from their owner's supper. Now, what is she saying? Well, she's talking about something that was really quite common back then. We think it's something that's common to us. But even back then, the idea is if uh, there were families that had dogs and, and the family would eat. And then at the end of the meal, they would take the leftovers and throw them to the dogs for the dogs to eat, or the dogs would, you know, just eat. I don't know if they would drop food accidentally, but they would eat the scraps from their owner's table. So the dog is a pet. It's a domesticated dog. And pigs were also, they, there could be wild pigs. Remember the story of Jesus when he sent the demons into a herd of pigs? And they weren't necessarily wild pigs. Those pigs were domesticated in the sense that they had a, an owner, somebody who watched over them. And so when it talks about throwing things to pigs or dogs, what was Jesus talking about? What do you throw to pigs? What do you throw to dogs? Well, the, the story in Mark 7 gives us a hint where the, the Gentile woman said even the dogs eat from the scraps that come from the owner's table. So what do you throw to these animals? You throw them food, right? You throw them food. Uh, and, and it's owner's job to feed them. But the owner's not doing his job, he says, because in this metaphor, because Jesus says the owner is, tr is trying to feed them something they can't eat. If they eat these things, it would hurt them, maybe even choke them. So what do the animals do? Jesus says if you throw things to the animal that they, they expect, to eat, I mean, they're hungry and they expect to be able to eat. And then they find that these things, these pearls, whatever you threw to them, are not edible. Then they'll not only trample on them, he says, but eventually they'll turn on you and tear you up. Why? Well, maybe the animals are thinking, well, 
This is not edible, but you are. So he, he says they turn to you and, and, and you know, attack you and tear you to pieces. Now, what is Jesus saying here? He, he's not depicting an owner who was throwing rocks and stones to his animals, but he's throwing pearls. What is a pearl? What is the significance? Again, he's using all these metaphors. And, and, and quite frankly, he's being humorous. Right? This is humor, right? And, and 2,000 years ago, when he talks about people walking around, can you just see people walking around with a log coming out of their eye? And now he's talking uh, about an owner throwing pearls and, and, and to the dogs and pigs, and the animals turn on the owner and tear him to pieces. It's like really getting their attention. But what is he talking about, and I think we have to answer the question, what is a pearl? We get a hint, if you look back at verse 6, you get a hint of what Jesus is talking about when he uses the term sacred. He uses the term sacred, giving something sacred to the dogs. But if you look at the rest of the book of Matthew, you'll understand that the pearl stands for the gospel, the gospel of the kingdom. Stay with me here. Matthew 13. Look at Matthew 13, verses 45 and 46. He gives this parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. So here he's telling a parable about a man who discovers a pearl of great price. And when he discovers this, he goes and he sells everything he has. He's left, he leaves himself with nothing but the money to purchase this pearl of great price. And then Jesus says, that pearl, that pearl is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. The king of the universe, Jesus Christ, has come to earth to go to the cross and to save us by his grace. That's the gospel. That's the gospel. And when this man, in Matthew 13, this parable, when this man sees the gospel, when he sees, when he finds a pearl, he sells everything he has for the gospel. Now stay with me here. All right, stay with me here. The same spiritual discernment that helps us to judge correctly when we see someone else's sin so that we help them instead of condemn them is the same discernment. We need to know that sometimes people don't want our help. Sometimes people don't want our help. Sometimes they're not ready for the gospel. Sometimes people, when they have the pearl, the kingdom, the, the gospel, like a pig, all he wants is something to eat. Paul said, their God is their stomach. All they want is fulfill the material and the physical desires. They're not ready for the pearl. They're not ready for the gospel. They're not ready for something sacred. They just want something to meet their material needs, their physical needs. And so we're, we want to help them. We, we want to help them to see that where they are and how they need God. We want to help them remove that speck from their eyes, but they're not ready. We need to understand the timing of God. We need to understand the pacing of God. God may be doing a work in them. And perhaps our part is to love them. 
Just love them. And somebody else will come along later and God will use them to lovingly tell them the truth about their sin. And maybe it'll take somebody else to come and actually reap the harvest to actually lead them to the Lord. Paul talked about this concept in 1 Corinthians 3 verse 6 when he said, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. But see, if we insist on throwing the pearl of the gospel before them when they're not ready, they may turn on us and they may try to eat us alive, spiritually speaking. They may talk badly about us. They may criticize us. They may mock us. They may even cuss us out. And, and, and they may just close the door to hearing the gospel from us. They may, say, they may say, you know what? You're all alike. You're all hypocrites. The church is full of hypocrites and this and that. They're not, they're not going to hear it from us anymore. We, we blew the chance because we were throwing pearls before pigs and dogs. That all they want is to live for this world. They're not ready to receive the gospel. And so they turn on us. They badmouth us, they mock us, they criticize us, they call us hypocrites, and we think we're being persecuted. No, we're not being persecuted. It's just that we didn't understand, we didn't discern, we, we insisted on throwing sacred things before dogs and, and pigs, uh, men and women who, who, as I said, are just looking to fulfill their physical and, and material desires. They just want something to eat. What I'm saying here is that we, we must not handle the gospel in a cookie-cutter way. Like, just follow a script. When I was in high school, I had a little New Testament. It was a Gideon New Testament. I don't even remember getting those in school. I had a, a little New Testament, and it was green. I don't, remember, I, don't, I don't know why I remember the color, but it was green. And so I marked up that New Testament to use it as my witnessing tool. I marked it up with the Romans Road of Salvation. Now, I'm just curious. How many of you have heard of the Romans Road of Salvation? Okay, a few of you have. Yeah, so what it was, was uh, it was a series of scriptures in the book of Romans. So I would, for example, I would highlight Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I would highlight it, and then I would, in the margin, I would write Romans 6.23. Because that would tell me, okay, I'm going to read this to somebody. Look, here's what the Bible says. For all have sinned and come short of, and fall short of the glory of God. And then I'd say, and, okay, now I'm going to go to Romans 6.23, which says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. So I had, and then from there I'd go to another verse in Roman and then another verse. And so that was a Romans road of salvation and go through that and witness the people and lead them to Christ. And so I marked it up. I highlighted, and, and so I would go from one to verse to another one, and I practiced it, and I think I tried it once, maybe twice with somebody. I, it, it was just a cookie-cutter approach. It didn't really work because I didn't really have enough of a relationship with them that I had any kind of capital built up that they're going to really listen to me. And so, uh, I, you know, it wasn't a great experience, but uh, that's kind of a cookie-cutter approach. So we, And I think... People mean well. I meant well. I, I wanted to lead people to Christ. You know, I was just in high school. I was still, still learning. But uh, if we insist and if we push, everybody who comes, we want to push the gospel on them. And if they don't understand right away, we argue with them. We push them. You know, we, we're just insensitive to what God may be doing in them. I think that's what this whole thing is about. And like so many things in the Bible... 
What Jesus is calling us to do is to have the right balance. Because on the right hand, we mustn't chicken out. We have to preach the gospel. We have to let people know about Jesus. It's our responsibility to feed them. We mustn't be afraid to tell them that we're Christians. We're followers of Christ. We mustn't be afraid to tell them the truth uh, uh, about the gospel. And yet we have to do it with grace and gentleness and sensitivity and discernment. Because if not, they could turn and, and tear us to pieces. So let me just finish with this. What is the ultimate lesson? I think this text points us to the other pearl parable that we read in Matthew 13. And I think the ultimate lesson points to that the only way that we can achieve this balance that I'm talking about. The only way we can become that person who can speak the truth in love, who is not afraid uh, to talk about Jesus, but also not abrasive that when we talk about Jesus, we actually hurt people. The only way we can ever see that our sins are greater than the sins of the people that we're seeing in our lives. The only way we're able to do this in an absolutely humble but gracious way is if, like the man in the parable, when we see and understand the gospel, we sell everything in order to get that, in order to buy that for us. That is to say, when you're like that man who sees the wonder of the gospel, sees the wonder of what Jesus did and what he does, and we stop the calculation. You know, a, a, a lot of times um, we calculate things, right? People calculate things. The pig is calculating this is not going to feed me. I don't know what this is. It's not going to feed me. This is not going to help me. People sometimes look, look at the gospel and say, how can I use the gospel to help me? Maybe if I become a Christian, God will help me get a better job. Maybe if I learn how to pray, I'll be, you know, everything is going to be great. I'm going to have God's favor. We're always, we're always calculating, how is this going to be good for me? What am I going to get out of this? If I do this and I do that, is God going to give me this? The man in the parable didn't do any of that. Now, he, you know, supposedly he had money. You know, he sold everything he had and he had the money. But he just wanted that pearl, the kingdom in his life. He stopped the calculating. And, and when you get to that point where you're no longer saying, I, if I serve God, this, this is my benefit. If I, if I bring the tithe, man, God is going to bless me. He's going to open the windows of heaven. I'm going to do it if for no other reason because of that. No. You, you stop the calculating. and You say, I'm no longer complaining. I'm no longer saying, well, what am I getting in return? No more math. No more calculation. No more quid pro quo from God. Instead, I'm simply saying, I want this in my life. Because this is a real deal. The gospel is a real deal. And I want to use, uh, or rather, I want God to use me to help others. So my question is tonight, or today, how do you... Or the question is, do you have that kind of a heart? Do you have that kind of a heart? Or have you just heard the story about Jesus died on the cross and you say, oh, that's good. But it hasn't captured your imagination. It hasn't made you go like the man in the parable. I want that more than anything. I'm willing to lose everything else. I'll lose everything else. Have you allowed this to change your life? So I think the challenge for us is look at what Jesus has done. Look at the gospel and 
Ask God to help you understand it, help you see it. Let it change your life. Let's bow for prayer. Father, we thank you for this teaching. I thank you, Lord, that what we've read today uh, is it's somewhat funny, but it's to the point. And it's true, God, it's true. When Jesus said, you hypocrites, that's where a lot of us end up. We don't mean to, God. I believe that you know our hearts. You know our desires. But, Lord, maybe we just haven't been sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Maybe we're just following a script. Maybe we're approaching, reaching others and helping others in a cookie-cutter way instead of understanding everybody Every individual is unique, and you're working in them in a unique way. How do we judge others, Lord? First of all, by looking at our own sin first and foremost. How do we judge others, dear God? Just by, by helping them gently and by being sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Help us today, first of all, dear God, to turn to you, to your cross, and and like the man in the parable of the pearl of great price, to see how great the gospel is, your kingdom is for us today. We turn to you now, Father, in Jesus' name.